Hey y'all, it's your favorite finance gal, Syra. In this episode, we are elated to have the incredible Maya Bittner with us here. Aside from having some of the most extensive knowledge on credit scores and the infrastructure of credit scores of anyone I have ever met, Maya also has quite the background. We'll get into it in just a second, but why don't we kick it off so that you guys can dig in with us on exactly how credit scores and the credit score world works. Welcome to Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the weekly podcast that deconstructs the intimidating world of finance. Hosted by Syra Rahman, VP of Finance at HM Bradley, and her partner in crime, Megan McShane, a manager at a Fortune 100 company, and supported by StockTwits. Girls Just Want to Have Funds will take on the important questions in personal finance that so many of us avoid, but also take on a glass of wine or two. Learn more, subscribe to the show, and join Syra and Megan on their no-shame adventure to financial freedom at girlsjustwanna.com. Hey, Sai, how you doing? Hey, Nina. What's up, girlfriend? I'm excited for today. I feel like you're introducing me to someone very excellent and very new and is going to expand my mind. Oh, I'm so excited to introduce you to Maya. She's a bit of an entrepreneur. Can I give you a little bit of a background on her? Can I tell you the history of Maya? Please. Okay. So Maya founded Pinch, which was a credit building entity that she later sold to Chime, which is another fintech company slash neobank located here in the U.S., Today, she works as what's called the voice of the member of Chime. She also invests in startups. And on top of that, she runs the FinTech Book Club that I also happen to belong to. And the whole purpose behind the FinTech Book Club is to help industry veterans learn more about the underpinnings of the entire financial system. Ooh, I love (laughs) that she's a woman. I love that she's an entrepreneur. I love that there's a FinTech Book Club, (laughs) P.S. She's just an overall badass and she has like this extensive knowledge on credit scores in general. And I feel like the vast majority of questions that you've asked me and that people have DM'd us have really circled around that idea. So I was thinking, you know, why not have a conversation with someone that knows this stuff on a very intimate basis? Yeah, I think that sounds amazing. I mean, I don't even know how a credit score is really put together. (laughs) <laughs> so can I be honest with you? I don't know that yeah. I do either. I literally worked at a bank and used to see these all the time. And I have a general idea of how we judge people and where the credit score gets included. But to be perfectly frank, I like, you know, the number always pops up. Something I used to get pissed off as about, I should say, with Nick and I is he has consistently had a higher credit score than I have. And I was always like, what the hell? I've only ever had, you know, credit cards my whole life. So I don't fully understand why he has a higher credit score than me when he took out debt and I've never had debt. It's like, what, what am I doing wrong? I feel like Maya could be the answer to all of our problems. (sighs) Should we take a quick break so we can bring her on? Yeah. All right. Let's go grab some wine, take a break and you intro. Perfect. Let's do it. Hey, Maya. How's it going? Hey, guys. How are you? Thank you for having me. So good. We're so good. Megan, I'm ecstatic to introduce you to Maya Bittner. Maya, please meet Megan, my partner in crime. Megan, awesome to meet you. I'm excited to jam with you today. Yeah, me too. I love another gal on the podcast and you're our first interviewee. 
which is super fun Ooh, for us. Honored. Yes. I know. Thank yes. you for joining. I'm excited to kind of jump in. You know, we're talking about all sorts of things on the podcast, right? And my knowledge in finance is very limited. But one of the things that freaks me out in general is just credit scores. And I know you're an expert on that. And I need your help, like breaking it down. And I think, we both do, by the yeah. way. I also consider myself not to be an expert I, on credit okay, scores. It so. like a high bar. <laughs> it's tough. It's intimidating. It's right up there with like my credit card, which is in the freezer. And I'm, I'm not allowed to use it right now. But anyway, I think just kind of starting off, we've already kind of talked a little bit about your background in the intro that Syra walked through. But I want to talk about kind of the anatomy of credit scores and kind of your philosophy and background there. Ooh, love this. I think, you know, there's an interesting thing where, you know, the credit scores are kind of like one of the original algorithms. Like I feel like the American public has gotten a lot more familiar with the concept of algorithms with like Twitter and Facebook and like they now understand that algorithms control like the things they see and they understand that there's principles that are like descriptive and tend to drive that and that it's helpful for us to like be able to talk about these principles, but that fundamentally like the algorithm that Facebook uses to decide what to serve up in your feed is they look at all of the attributes of the stuff, right? And then they look at your past behavior and what you tend to read and what you tend to click on. And they choose things that look most like that in terms of the attributes they have access to. I think that the credit bureaus, it's like very, very similar to that, where they basically take all of the attributes that they have access to about people. Now, the credit bureau's primary source of data is lenders, right? So most of the information that they have about people is they know some things about their identity, their name, their social security number, their birth date, their address, and they know about their borrowing and repayment behavior because the lenders give that to them. And then it's really an algorithm where you take all this data that they have and they predict how likely you are to repay loans in the future using that data. Along the way, it's like we can understand sort of like, oh, like these are the types of things that sort of like make up your credit score. Like it tends to be, right? It's like you might have a higher credit score if you have low utilization on your credit cards. But I really view these as like shortcuts for humans to understand and that really what the credit bureaus are doing is, and lenders who use data from credit bureaus, is taking all of the data that's reported to them about a person and trying to use that to understand their likelihood to repay. Does that make sense? So it's like the same thing with Facebook. It's like picture like really gory, interesting videos people are more likely to click on. But the gory and interesting, it's like that's not it's not necessarily like even Facebook, like Facebook might not even know that it is a gory photo. They just know that it's the type of thing that people like to click on. And so they surface it to you so that you click on that. Yeah, it makes sense at a very high level to me. But for me, and I know some of our listeners are like just starting out, right? So there might not be a lot of info on them. So does that mean they get started on a lower credit score or how does it start to build? Totally. And I think there's two interesting pieces of that. So the credit score, it started out really about borrowing money and your likelihood to repay. Since then, they've started functioning as like true arbiters of identity in the United States. And part of that is because we don't really have a good national identity. And so if you are, you know, in, in the industry, we call it thin file, which means the credit bureaus don't have very much information about you. 
it actually means that it's pretty hard for most people to verify your identity. And so it locks you out. And it's kind of why I recommend that people do establish data with the credit bureaus, even if they're like, I don't want to borrow money. I never want to borrow money. This isn't an important thing to me. Because having that, it lets you do stuff like access your transcript from the IRS. It helps you qualify for apartments. It helps you qualify for better jobs. It gives you cheaper car insurance. Like it does all of these things that kind of aren't anything to do with money. And there's easy, like low risk ways to kind of bring data to the credit bureaus. You can, like I think Equifax, well, there's a bunch of different programs. Maybe the Experian Boost program is probably the friendliest way. So Experian um, has a program called Boost, which lets consumers log in and upload their like rent data and utilities data and some other subscriptions. I think maybe Netflix, don't quote me on that. And this puts that data in the bureaus, but it's almost less about the data specifically and more, I think the main value is showing like, here's my name, here's my address, here's my age, right? Like here's my identity so that if you ever need to do something in the future where you need to bank on that identity, whoever's looking it up is gonna have access to that. I actually, can I jump in with a question? Cause you said something that I thought was super interesting. So my outside of my credit cards, I've actually never taken out a loan. Does that mean that I automatically have a lower credit score because I've never had a loan? So automatically and credit score, and I mean so many things. Yeah. So I don't want to speak too strongly, but certainly having different types of, they're called trade lines, like the types of reports is generally helpful for having, for like lenders having faith in your likelihood to repay. So having like a student loan and a car loan, Mm -hmm. having a credit card and a mortgage, like these are all different types of trade lines. I do think, so a lot of people say that it's like they've never had a loan, but really if you've had an unsecured credit card, which I think you have, the credit bureaus really view that as a loan. So it is like it's doing a lot to build your credit score and kind of build up your profile with them. I do want to take like a step back just for a second, because I do know, at least for me and maybe some of our listeners, I want to kind of touch on the anatomy of a credit score that you you said before. And I want to get your opinion on if I was graduating college, what is the first thing that I should do? In my head, what my dad has told me, which I don't know if it's true or not. Sorry, dad. Should I get a credit card and start building my credit without having any financial background? Or what would you recommend? Yeah, I think easy answer, it depends, but I can give you some generalizations and some heuristics, which I know is what you're looking for. So my personal recommendation would be not to necessarily get a credit card. In part, like, I just feel like credit cards aren't even cool anymore. Like it's just, it doesn't. Have you seen American Express? Mine's rose gold. It's very pretty. Well, no, and Maya and I work in fintech and like I feel like something that everybody talks about is like the the metal cards, right? Like how cool the metal cards are. And you and I sit in the same boat, like credit cards are a sham in my opinion too. But I get, yeah, I'm so curious as to why you, you think that they shouldn't get a credit card. I know. I think credit cards are a sham. I think it's kind of a, not like a privileged position to be in, but Like, I feel very comfortable in myself and my status in the world. And I think that having a cool credit card can actually be like a relatively cheap way of like, like, quote unquote, having status in some circles, right? It's like if you can get a metal card for $90 a year or by referring 
I, know, I was gonna, sorry. I was gonna do some cheesy promo to chime. I can't even remember what our promo is to get a metal card, but I, I, they happen every so often. You know, pay attention. <laughs> but, but so I think it's kind of a status thing. I mean, really, what I think is that, I mean, and I'm not gonna say like I'm immune from status in my world, but I'm just playing a different game than the credit card game. So status aside, I think debit cards really work better for how people's brains work and like better from a personal finances perspective. Right. So I would recommend like there's a bunch of cool kind of secured debit cards that build your credit score now. Well, secured credit cards, they work like kind of like debit cards. Do you have an example of what those are, Maya? Like what what are those secured yeah. credit cards? Is there one through Chime as well? There's one through Chime. So there's a Chime credit builder credit card, which is a 100% secured card. And so your credit limit dynamically changes as you fund sort of your like security deposit. And then you can set it up so that your security deposit is used to automatically pay your bill at the end of every month, or you can pay it manually. Extra is a card that I've been using a lot recently that also, so Extra is, I believe it's decoupled debit. So you can't actually send money to your Extra account. Instead, you link an underlying bank account. It's a credit card. So every time you spend money, you're borrowing money from extra, but they initiate an ACH the next day from your bank account to automatically pay that off. So it's a very like low risk type of credit card and they report those payments to the credit bureaus. I believe that Varo might have one. I feel like Varo might have one. I'm not sure. Who else has Varo just sent out that wild email that I didn't understand. So I want to... I didn't understand that either. (laughs) Yeah. I can't help you. We can we can criticize them in a little bit, but yeah, yeah. So there's a bunch of different cards you're saying that essentially give us the there's ability. There's a bunch of different cards, yeah, that will build your credit score, build your identity, and then having, like I was saying earlier, Syrah, with the different types of trade lines, yeah. is if you have different types, that's helpful. So it's like don't just have one of these credit building credit cards, like hundred percent secured cards, but also have. One of the alternative sources maybe is you can report your rent. Rent track is a great way to do this. There's something called Perch Credit, which is working on this. Reporting your rent payments. And then again, Experian Boost, reporting your utilities. So I think getting that data and getting that data like right when you graduate college or even earlier, as soon as you turn 18, so that you have a history, even if it's just a history of like paying your electricity bill, Comcast, right? Like they will check your credit score and sometimes report to it. As well as mm. as well as like the power companies. So Maya, like if you in your ideal world, you're very very smart, which I'm like totally blown away. So thank you for being here. But like if I had like a one page checklist for any college graduate on the three things they should do, like straight out of the gate, what are those three things? Three things. I would sign up for Rent Track to report your rent payments. I would sign up for Grain. What's that? which is an app that basically predicts if you're going to overdraw your bank account and kind of extends you, gives you an advance if they think you will. And then when you pay that back, they report that to the credit bureaus. So it's like it's like this great backup. It's like instead of overdrawing your bank account, which can cause lots of fees, they give you these like very affordable loans and then you know, it also builds your credit score when you pay that back, which I think is super cool. It's like, let's take overdrafts from this like horrible $35 painful experience into something that actually improves your credit score. Mm -hmm. And then 
Third would be sign up for the Chime Credit Builder credit card. There's the plug. Amazing. <laughs> you did it. It's got to come in sometime. It's got to come in sometime. No, I, of course. I love that. And okay. So with my brain works in threes. I don't know if it's just my brain and it's small or like I'm in marketing and I like it's simple and succinct. And I'm like three things. I can remember three. So thank you for that. What are the three things people should absolutely not do? Same situation, same consumer graduating college or to avoid. I love this. So I think, you know, it's interesting. It's like, I think it depends. Again, it depends on your goals, right? So like, if you really want a good credit score, like let's say you want a good credit score to buy a house one day and get a good interest rate, right? It's like, then you really need to have a focus on building your savings account for the down payment and doing stuff like that. And so, you know, the don't do is kind of like, don't get like, I know when people are looking at, frankly, apartments, when they're looking at houses to buy, when they're looking at cars or even other rentals, they look at like, how much can I afford per month? So like with a car, right? It's like, if you're getting a car loan, it's like, can I afford a $400 a month car payment? I would not do that. I would say like, kind of like, what's the minimum car that I need to like, feel safe and that I can rely on to to get to school and to get to work and things like that? Or can I live without a car? I actually just bought a car, but it's my first one in 10 years. I feel like what Maya just said is be practical with your money, which is something that I don't <laughs> think people like to hear, but is such a valid piece of advice. I hope everyone just heard that because I see way too many people overspending and under budgeting. And I think what she legitimately just said is be responsible with your money. So I, I think that's actually one of the most beautiful things you've said today, Maya. Well, what I'm worried about is if you're kind of like, yeah, I can afford a $500 a month car payment and I can afford $1,200 a month in rent. And that's all your money. If something happens, if you have some financial shock, like your car gets towed or you have this weird medical bill or like you lose your job, anything like that, it often ends up dinging your credit report in a way that's really hard to recover from. It takes a really long time to get that credit score back. If you miss, if you miss a credit card payment or a car loan payment, I think it feels like it's like, oh, well, like, you know, I just missed it because I didn't have a job this month. But like, then I got a job the next month and I started paying that, you know, that bill again. It should be fine. It gets really, really hard to recover from that. So don't miss a payment. I feel like that's just so important. And like, even if you make the minimum payment, it's like, that's fine. But like, don't miss these payments because it gets so hard to recover from. And my favorite way of like not missing the payments is like living under my means so that I have a little bit more buffer in case weird stuff happens. There's different ways to swing it. Frankly, I have this one friend who like very much lives at the edge of her means, but is also like very compelling at, you know, she has a financial shock that she's like, hey, can you send $50 to my credit card bill? Can you? And she kind of like borrows it. And it's like, you know what? I think there's a lot of disdain for stuff like that, but it's like, dude, whatever works for you. I couldn't do that. People don't like me that much, but like if that works for you, that's fine. I have to have a savings account. So it's like, there's lots of different strategies. Number one is just like, do not miss any of those payments because it gets so hard to recover from. No, Maya and I, God, I wish I talked to you 10 years ago, right? Because like I graduated college and I was like, oh my God, I have a paycheck. Life is good. So I knows this. I'm like, I'm going to go to Nordstrom every weekend, like baller, 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 baller. And then 
Lo and behold, little 23-year-old Megan couldn't pay off her credit card. And my credit score got dinged, 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 dinged. And it took me, I want to say three years to kind of flex that muscle and get it built back up over time. So it takes a long time. Yeah. But like with that example, I mean, it kind of freaks me out that that happened to me. Well, I get dinged later if someone looks at my credit score because they saw that history or does it matter? So in general, things fall off your credit score or like after seven years. Mm. And so when you say later, it depends how much later and things, people learn their lessons, right? It's like the credit bureaus not only know this somewhat from a top-down way, but they also know this empirically. Like they see this in the data that that people do, they sort of like shift their behavior and then learn their lessons. So things matter less over time. And it is a steep, steep drop-off. And now part of the reason for that is because let's say you miss your first payment. Nobody is going to want to lend to you after that because they're worried that you just had a financial shock. Like you just lost your job and you won't be able to pay back anything. And so right after like your first kind of like derogatory mark is the industry term, it gets really hard. If you're good from there, right, it's like every month that goes by, it has like half as much impact. Like it does. So it will follow you around a little bit for like seven years, but it really, really quickly like reduces the impact that it has. Each one is like exponential though. So. Okay. And for what it's worth, I did used to see people apply at the bank when I was working that they would then provide an explanation of what was on their credit report. If something was like a derogatory mark, they were able to at least attempt to tell the bank why they had that derogatory mark. So there are options that you can walk people through to say this is what happened here, but it would have to be like a pretty blatant error in order for you to be able to do that. So what you guys are telling me is what happened to me a while ago, which I can't believe I'm confessing live on a podcast because it's very <laughs> shameful, but it, it's no, true. It's and I know it happens to right. a lot. I don't think it is. And it's yeah. common. And the credit cards are kind of like encouraging you. So it's almost sure. like it's like you've been bamboozled by the credit cards, you know, it's kind of not your but fault. But it's almost expunged is kind of how I feel. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. expunged off my record. So that makes me feel good. My, I have a question actually, sorry. This is one that I've been thinking about a lot. And it's actually one that I got asked on Twitter today when I was asking people for questions on credit. And I'm so curious if you can break down the the structural issues that credit scores have because I feel like, well, first and foremost, we're in Women's History Month, which is a big deal to me because I love talking about women's history. But second of all, I know you are an expert on some of the structural issues within credit, which is one of the reasons you founded, I'm guessing, the company that you founded that later got purchased by Chime. So I'm so curious, if you don't mind, just doing a really quick rundown of what that looks like and what those issues are today. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different things. I think... So my top thing that I love to talk about, right, is a quick overview of how most lending works. If I start like a lending startup, right, and there are many trending lending startups today, when I raise money from investors, right, that money I raise from investors and the money on my balance sheet is not what I'm lending people, right? Because it gets re- it's really quite expensive equity from a startup's perspective. And so in general, well, there's a couple different ways how it works, but can originate loans to people And what kind of happens at the end of the day is that investors on Wall Street buy those loans, right? So 
they're kind of providing the capital with the hopes of getting a return. And so the way that they get packaged up and sold is by credit score. And people understand that they're taking on like different amounts of risk for different credit score and like hopefully different amounts of return. So if I were to just summarize what you just said, you just said that a lot of the loans that get sold by banks or fintech companies, however you want to look at it and slice it up, they get sold onto Wall Street. And the way that they're sold onto Wall Street is dependent on the credit score that's attached to each loan. Exactly. And so it's critical for the lenders to have Wall Street buy the loans. They can't, it's like they can't operate their business unless Wall Street is is buying those loans from them. Gotcha. So the important part of that is that if you as a lender understand, like, let's say, you know, everyone's got, if you understand like a better way of underwriting people, right? And you say, wait, like, I've actually found that for this group of people, their credit score doesn't represent them well. I can borrow the money and they're actually going to, they're much more likely to pay it back than their credit score indicates. It sort of doesn't matter, right? Because even if you think that, even if you know that, even if you have data that proves that, Wall Street isn't going to buy it. They're only going to buy it based on the credit score. And so it puts lenders, their hands are kind of tied in terms of innovating. And then we also have some regulatory restrictions. So there's all of this really cool innovative stuff happening in the lending universe in other countries, right? And so a lot of people know of Tala, which is operating in Africa. They use data from someone's mobile phone in order to offer them small loans and underwrite them. And it's very easy and it's outside the the credit bureaus. It works, right? They're able to accurately underwrite people using data on their phones. Theoretically, this would also work in the United States, but lenders are not allowed to use this type of data because of regulations. And so between regulations and Wall Street, many people's hands are tied from innovating. I don't remember the original question at all. <laughs> so, okay, right on. So, it was what are some of the structural issues within credit scoring and like who ends up holding the bag and who ends up at a loss with their credit score? Great. Great. Right. And so, there's many different credit scores. So, FICO, right, has existed for a long time. One of the advantages of FICO is that it has existed for a long time. So there's so much historical data about how FICO scores relate to loan repayments through different macroeconomic situations that people really depend on FICO and they really trust FICO. So FICO made a mistake, right? And they categorically underscore new immigrants to the United States, which they do. And when you say they underscore them, Maya, what what are you saying? You're saying that they automatically have a lower FICO score because of how FICO is calculated. Well, yeah. What I'm saying is that their FICO score is lower than their repayment data or tendencies or risks like ought to be. And a FICO score is a fairly common credit score is what you're saying. Is it the most common credit score? FICO score is the one... So that's what mortgages are sold on. So it's the only score for really big, important loans. Yeah. So for all the big loans, like they only use FICO. For other loans and for some credit cards, they have there's have like a little bit more flexibility. But in terms of like big, serious loans, it's just the only player in the space. Okay. So so for me, as an example, I'm an immigrant and I'm a female. I just came into the US, let's say a couple of weeks ago. What happens to my, I come in and I had an amazing credit score wherever I came from. 
what happens when I come into the U.S.? Like how? Yeah. So you show up here, right? And say it's like you work in tech, you make $100,000 a year, you have a new job, you've immigrated to the United States. It's going to be really difficult for you. So I think some people think they're like, oh, you might have trouble getting your credit card. You might even have trouble getting a bank account. Seriously? Yeah. And so, right, it's like check systems is sort of the the credit bureaus of checking accounts, and that can restrict lots of people. And it depends. It's like, well, do you have a social security number? Do you have a permanent resident card? Do you have, it's like a green card. It's like there's all these different layers of sort of locking people out of traditional financial services that exist in the U.S. And so it might be hard to get a checking account. It's going to be really hard to get a credit card. And getting like a, a mortgage is just out of the question. So I guess what you're telling me is there's no way for my former country to provide information to the U.S. and say, hey, FICO, Syra's actually a legitimate borrower. She had a mortgage back in Bangladesh, and she's she's fully capable of not only paying back her loan, but also taking out credit cards. You're saying that when I walk in the door here, I basically am SOL. Like, I'm not getting, not getting a loan. I'm- well, there are options, but certainly on the fringes. And so Novo Credit is a new company which exists just to solve this problem. So they work with lenders in order to go to countries and find immigrants' data from their home country and to bring it to lenders so that they have more accurate information and really can offer more loans than they would be able to otherwise. So Novo Credit's in this space. There's a couple other people in this space who are basically doing underwriting like based on your employment and verified job offers. I have to say though, so... Though immigrants like totally get screwed over. The U.S. still is on the world scale a pretty well set up option. And the reason for that is that in most countries, they don't have credit bureaus. And the way that it works is you have a checking account at a bank and then you would get your credit card from that bank and they would choose whether to issue you that credit card or not based on the information that they had about you from you banking with them and you having a checking account with them. And then if you ever wanted a mortgage or an auto loan, you'd also go to your bank And they would choose whether to offer you that based on their information. So if you wanted a mortgage from a different bank, they would be like, we don't know anything about you. You know, we can't offer you this. In the US, it's actually sort of interesting. It's like, one, we have so many banks. We have thousands of banks. But we actually, it's like, though the credit bureaus are like super problematic, it's also really cool that we have this centralized source so that if you have a credit card with Capital One, and you've been paying that back and you've been borrowing responsibly and you've showing evidence of this for years, you can go to Chase and you can say like, hey, I'd love to get one of your credit cards. And Chase effectively is saying, hey, we see what you've done with your Capital One card and we like it. And so we're happy to in- like invite you to, to sign up for a Chase card. Like that system doesn't exist in other countries. So it's actually, it is a cool thing. There's huge, you know, systemic problems there's a lot of groups of people that get sort of like locked out. But there are some actually like very cool things about having this like oligopoly, this like centralized credit bureau system that other countries don't have. I have a couple other questions and these are all from people that have pinged me with questions. So I'm just going to fire away. And if you don't mind just giving me, give me the quick and dirty on them. The first one is when you check your credit score, does it negatively affect you? So when you go into check or really when creditors go into check, like why why does that negatively affect your credit score? 
Oh, it, because it makes you look desperate. It's sort of like, let me see. I'm big on analogies if you can't tell, but it does. So if a lender, and it, it, this is actually really interesting. So some people are familiar with the difference between a soft pull and a hard pull, right? So what are the soft for everyone? That yeah, a soft pull is someone who um, they can access your credit score, but it doesn't lower your credit score. A hard pull likely will. And then the difference between those is that the credit bureaus basically say they're like, look, a hard pull, you have to do a hard pull if you're going to extend to them a loan. You can do a soft is that pull inclusive if you're of not credit cards, Maya. Like, is that is a hard pull yep. and a soft? So it's no matter what, you're getting a hard pull if you want to take out some form of credit. Yep. Okay. So are you saying if I look at my credit score, it might affect my credit score? Because while we're talking, Credit Karma just sent me an email. So, so should I not log at in? Your credit score won't. It's only lenders. It's only actually it's only people who are extending like extending credit to you or using your credit score to like potentially qualify for credit. I guess you don't have to extend, but like to offer you credit, that will affect your credit score. You looking at your credit score won't. It's only people who are extending credit to you. Right on. And then one other question that I had from one of our listeners is, does your debt to income affect your credit score? So when people go in and they determine whether or not they're going to lend to you, let's say they lend to you and you get a new mortgage added to your overall credit score? Does your credit score go up? Does it go down? What happens? So short answer is no. Your debt to income does not affect your credit score. The long answer is, it's like, well, what is a credit score? So there's actually, there's like many different credit scores, right? There's ones people have have more likely to have heard of, right? There's the FICO score. There's the Vantage score. Increasingly today, and this the credit bureaus don't like this. So the credit bureaus really want to be like the decision makers. They want to be the ones in charge, in part because it's just a better business. You can do be have a fatter margin if you're actually providing intelligent services. If you're just serving up the data in the credit report, it's hard to charge that much money for it and make that much money. So it's part of the reason. But a lot of lenders, what they do is they take all the data in your credit report and they use that data to decide whether to lend to you or not. They're not actually using, you know, the quote unquote credit score, the FICO score. Now, like I said, you have to use FICO in order to sell stuff to Wall Street. So it does come into play, but it kind of depends. It's like depends on you and what you're doing and and things like that. Like I think this grain company that I mentioned earlier, my guess is that they're not reselling their $100 free overdraft service to Wall Street. They're probably funding that themselves. And so they don't need to use credit score to repackage that and sell it. They can just do their own underwriting. So now they're not using the credit score. They might look at debt as you have represented on your credit report. And the same thing with getting a mortgage. So when you get a mortgage, the debt that you have on your credit report, it doesn't affect your your quote unquote credit score. And usually your interest rate is related to your like credit score. And so that will just happen based on your credit score regardless of debt. However, the mortgage lender might choose not to offer you as big of a mortgage if they see that your debt to income is too high. And the way that they know that is by the data on your credit report. So it does affect the loans that you qualify for, but it probably doesn't affect the interest and it doesn't really affect your credit score. In fact, they don't really know what your income is 
in general, the credit bureaus don't know that. And you usually have to tell them that for them to have any idea. And Maya, a good rule of thumb that you brought up earlier, like I'm that girl graduating college, like what do I not do? It's what is my income and how do I try not to fall into debt? So when we hit things 10 years later, 15 years later of like, hey, my credit score is really important because I need a mortgage on a home. I've already set myself up for success because I've plotted my goals I haven't opened up 10 credit cards and just forgotten about them and gone to Nordstrom way too much. So that hygiene seems really, really important to me. Yeah. And I think, you know, I bought my first house recently. And one of the things that I had to do, it kind of surprised me, but I basically had to pay down all of my credit cards to zero to get the mortgage. And the funny thing about that is in general, I don't carry a balance on my credit cards. I pay them off on the bill every month. But even that was not really good enough for them to be comfortable because I mean, the mortgage, they were like the current balance on your cards, even if you've charged it in the last couple of weeks, needs to be much lower because they were looking at that debt to income ratio. Interesting. So what do you think was the most important thing? Because I know I'm trying to save for a house. My partner and I are. And like when I go in and I'm like ready to put down that money, like if they're looking at my credit score, what's probably like the top three things that I should have like on the ready? Is it my credit card bills? Is it paying them down every month? Is it having, what, what do you think? God, Megan, if I were to buy a house again, what I would do is I would literally stop using credit cards like 30 or, I'm serious, like 30 or 60 days, like maybe like 30 days before putting the house. I mean, often you have like 30 days until it closes and things like that, but like 30 days before I would stop using credit cards just so I don't have to explain to them. We had to do, I mean, my process, it was all of these extremely painful three-party calls with some sort of like verification agent myself. And we were like calling up Apple Card to say like, hey, like, what is Maya's current balance? Like the last reported balance on her credit report is $1,000, but has she paid that back since then? When was the payment made? What is the current balance on the account? And verifying that. And it was it was so painful that I, I think if I were to buy a house again, I would just stop using credit cards and not have a balance on them. It's like, and credit cards, right, as we've established, like they can be one way of building credit, not necessarily my favorite way. I think they're fine in general. Although Syra and I, it's like they're kind of a scam. <laughs> <laughs> We share that mentality. (laughs) But yeah, 30 days before you're buying a house, like just any outstanding debt, if you have any personal loans or anything like that, kind of paying those down. And the reason why is that, let's say I typically charge $200 a month to my credit card. But the week before I go out to get a mortgage, I've charged $5,000 to my credit card. The way that, the mortgage lenders sort of like assess your debt to income is if you have a $5,000 balance on your credit card, they assume that you have a 5,000, like you have $5,000 of new charges every month. And so it's not that they assume you have a one-time $5,000 charge, which is in reality, and that even you have, you know, 12 months to pay it back if you wanted to, or you might pay it back next month. They assume that you're going to be paying this $5,000 like every month. And so you can see how that would add up really quickly and, and kill your debt to income ratio. And I'm I'm going to add to that just from my banking experience. I do think that that varies from bank to bank. I think some banks include that as like a monthly payment. Some banks will actually remove your credit card payments and assume that it's 
because it's it varies from month to month. It's not necessarily the same. But I think Maya's method is actually the most conservative and the smartest way to go about it. So my recommendation would be the same as hers. I mean, that being said, I do think that it varies from from bank to bank the way that they calculate everything in general. So that the yeah, credit card good, piece is most certainly the biggest question mark. And some banks will look at you and they will judge you for it. And some banks will actually remove it entirely. And that's completely dependent on the bank, which again, also goes back to what she was saying earlier, that there are some structural issues with how lenders take a look at you and, and whether or not you fairly get a chance at taking out a loan. So I guess Maya, like to wrap it up, I guess my last question would be, you're able to go back in time. Okay. And you're graduating college, you're undergrad. What are kind of like the things you wish you could have avoided back then around your credit score that you could tell your old self? I mean, it's an interesting question. I I think actually like one of the things that I should have done that I didn't do was actually keep my student loans for longer. This is maybe going to sound like weird advice, Mm. but I paid off my student loans really quickly in part because I, well, I had, I mean, I had, you know, people talk about student loans. It's like crazy stuff. Like I didn't have very many student loans because the school I went to did not charge tuition, which was fantastic for me. And then my parents has also saved ten thousand dollars for me to go to college, which was fantastic. And I also worked during college. So I graduated with less than ten thousand dollars in student loans, which was awesome. But I was pretty like freaked out about that. And I, you know, like didn't want to be like a person in debt. And I was looking at these interest rates. And so I really kind of well killed myself to pay these down really fast. And so there were two reasons why that was bad or a couple reasons. One, I was like killing myself, right? And like when I think about my life then, like it was so hard. And I think about, right, like walking home because I couldn't afford the bus. And I think about like, you know, I shared this two bedroom apartment with like six other people and it was horrible. And You know, it was just like my life sucked and that's bad in and of itself for sure. But it's also if you think about it from a pure like financial perspective, I probably could have earned more if I was like in a safer, better, more comfortable space. Like I could have had better opportunities and I could have like positioned myself in smarter professional situations. You know, it's like if I wasn't so living on the edge then I actually would have been making more money. So I wish that I hadn't paid down my student loans so fast because one, my life would have been more comfortable. Two, I think I could have been making more money earlier. And then three, actually like closing down those payments is a bit harmful to your credit score. While but wait, having, wait, wait. Like, so hang on. So did you just, you just said that paying off loans is bad for your credit? Yeah. Closing out the loans is bad for your Wild. credit because it's less evident. It's like, Actually, I know I thought that like being in less debt would be good for my credit score, but it wasn't. Yeah. Closing the accounts is bad for my credit score. So I wish I had kept even just like one loan 
for a long time and making that minimum payment because I think it would be better for my finances, better for my happiness, and better for my credit score to have this like long history of making those payments. That is wild to me that you have to maintain debt. Like you should have been applauded for paying off your loan and, and your credit. Like that's what immediately went into my head. I was like, oh, her credit score probably got bumped up because she paid off her loan and she did A, B, and C correctly. Like lenders should be ecstatic that you paid off your loan. I cannot believe that that dinged your credit. That makes me a little bit mad frankly. It's so dumb. Like what a stupid construct. It's a crazy system out there. I know. Yeah, seriously. Well, this has been such a wealth of knowledge. I have a lot of things I need to just grok in general. Maya, I tell Sai all the time, I'm like, when we're talking, I go back and listen to the episode again. Like I'm taking notes right now. I'm not like for real. No, we watched you take notes. And I actually love that. That's something that I not only love about you, Megan, but but the thing is Maya gave us so much information that I feel like I have a bunch to take in as well. I mean, like what a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for your time today, Maya. I feel like both of us had so much to take away from you and hopefully everyone else that's listening had stuff to take away as well. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. And we are so, yeah. So fun. Right on. You know, I really hope it was helpful to people. It's like, an unnecessarily opaque system. It's so confusing and that ends up hurting people when like really there's no need, you know? And if they only knew the right decisions to make earlier, they could do that. So I hope I, you know, provided some good advice from that. And I at least had a fun time chatting with you guys on the way. Right on. Cheers. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, cheers, girlfriend. It was so nice to, to have you on. All right, so I'm gonna attempt to add up what we just heard and what I think I'm going to take away from it as well as our listeners. Right on. Let's do it. So I had Maya kind of put herself in to the shoes of a consumer, of someone that's just leaving college. Like, what are the three things I should do as I set off on my journey? And to be honest with you, Sai, it's almost exactly the guidance and foundation that you've been talking to us about week over week, right? It's very much like, hey, what are your goals? What is your income? How do you break down your income? Don't overspend what you're bringing in. Very important. Yes. Things I didn't even think about that I should because I pay rent is signing up for rent track. Is that something you've ever done? I honestly haven't. And I think it's something amazing that has must have come into the light recently. And obviously, she's much more on pulse with these kinds of things than I am. So I think it's so important that we contemplate them. But gosh, I, you know, I think it's a great idea. Definitely. And then I'm definitely going to look into grain as a backup so they can actually look at your income and your spending habits and then kind of be a a little bit of a buffer for you if you need it, right? Like if you're going to overspend a little per month, they might be able to put some parameters or borders around how you're spending to make sure you're back on track without going into the negative and then falling into debt and then your credit score being awful. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think those are all Wonderful suggestions and definitely things that everyone should be looking at. And I think something that Maya said that I just want to highlight again and emphasize is being responsible with your money and actually thinking in practical terms, not only what can you get approved for and what's the bank going to tell you you can afford, but also contemplating how can you potentially live below your means and how can you make that part of your own personal priorities in terms of not only saving, but succeeding in the future. Oh, I loved this so much. 
I have so much to take away. You know, I've been writing notes this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like this has been a good day. I'm really excited about this episode. This was a really good one. All right, Meg, should we wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right. Love you. Thank you so much. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye, boo. Bye. Thanks for joining us. Head on over to girlsjustwanna.com where you can subscribe to the show, follow Megan and I on social, or even text us your important financial questions. And remember, there's no shame in asking anything. We'll see you next time on Girls Just Wanna Have Funds. Oh,